0: This is the Win Trust Business Lunch. Here's Jack Abelin, the Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital. Hi, Jack. Welcome back to GN. How are you? Great. Thanks, John. Thanks for the invitation. Well, I said that you're going to talk to us about the broadening of the market and how maybe the Magnificent Seven don't necessarily lead the way. But I hope that's because other stocks are doing better and not that these high-priced tech stocks are actually going to do worse this year.
1: Well, you know, that's a it's a great question. Um, And that's what ideally uh, that's what we hope, that uh, perhaps we have the Magnificent Seven just tread water while the rest of the market catches up. Um, But that remains to be seen right now.
0: That's the expectation, though, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about, that we do seem to be poised for something like that. Yeah, so there's um, right now, still,
1: uh, the market is very narrow. Uh, Only 31% of the S&P companies are actually outperforming the S&P. Obviously, we'd like to see that, you know, 50% or higher. Um, The other remarkable stat, John, is that half of the S&P 500, so 250 stocks in the S&P, are still trading uh, below 20% from their all-time highs, even though the market itself, the index itself, is making new highs. Uh, so we still have wow. uh, half the market well below. I mean, we'll call it bear territory. Um, so that's really how narrow the market is. And as long as uh, the, the Federal Reserve keeps rates high uh, and keeps access to financing, essentially, Um, limited because of the high rates and also banks less willing to lend, that does tend to advantage the largest stocks in the market, which typically have unfettered access to capital regardless of the environment.
0: I want to get my head around that one statistic you just threw out there. You said 50% or more of the market is 20% or more below its all-time high?
1: Uh, 50% of the market is more than 20% below its all time high.
0: That's a bear right. in the closet. I mean, that's that's. Uh, should I worry about that? That seems to be worrisome. Well,
1: it, it is um, for um, you know for for those of us who are you know perhaps investing in individual stocks. Uh, but if you're investing in the S and P 500, which is cap weighted, that means the largest stocks have the largest weights. Um, you know, you're we're hitting all time highs. So I think it. It tends to reinforce this notion that you know what, just own the index, just own the the a passive strategy uh, that yeah. that tends to weight the largest
0: companies more. Lower interest rates would help the rest of the market, right? Rest of the S and P. That's it. That's the catalyst, John. And so we got a, a couple
1: of tastes of it uh, late last year or early this year. In fact, going into 2024. Um, bond uh, the bond market had put in 80 percent chance of lower rates in march and with that um, the smaller companies and the average stock were really outperforming uh, the magnificent seven but since that time of course with the higher inflation and stronger growth the chance of a rate cut in march has gone to virtually nil and with that the smaller names have underperformed Mm -hmm. the larger names so once we get a sense that the Fed will indeed cut rates. Uh, that's probably the invitation for the smaller names to start to outpace.
0: What's giving the Fed pause?
1: It's it's really uh, the the resilience of the economy and the strength in pricing, and so they believe one that perhaps their um, you know their job on inflation isn't quite done yet, and two, even if they keep rates. High, perhaps higher than they would have originally thought, the economy is strong enough to sustain it uh, without falling into recession. Uh, and so you know as long as we continue to to show strong growth and you know hotter inflation, Uh, that's going to keep the Fed on the sidelines.
0: Well, does this make any sense? What if you went ahead and lowered rates and then all this extra capital would be expended and businesses would prosper and invest more? And if that drives the economy a little bit and inflation doesn't go down any further, would you make that trade? Is that a possible scenario?
1: It's possible, um, but we also know the Fed has articulated their 2% target. They want... Uh, inflation at two doesn't mean it has to flatline at two. It just needs to kind of uh, waver around two percent. And right now, year-over-year year inflation's at three, three point one. Um, so perhaps they just want a little more evidence that uh, trends are moving in that direction.
0: Jack Abelin is the chief investment officer at Crescent Capital. Click on crescentcapital.com. Very interesting, Jack. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Speaking of the uh, stock markets and what's leading the charge and the tech sector does well, of course, how about NVIDIA? Bree Fowler is here, senior writer at CNET.com, to talk to us a little bit about that and a few other topics. Bree, welcome back and tell me about NVIDIA today.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Um, the tech industry has been kind of taking a beating lately with, you know, some of their with layoffs and, you know, struggles and things like that. But NVIDIA, they posted a monster quarter uh, announcing the results yesterday. Um, their profit and their revenue beat analyst expectations. In fact, their revenue actually more than tripled from a year ago.
0: So we're looking at, what was it, $22 billion?
2: Yeah. Um, and, and it's all powered by AI. <laughs> NVIDIA makes chips that are, you know, traditionally were used for things like gaming and graphics, but They've been able to kind of carve out a niche in AI using the same kind of processing technology for for AI. And people were originally buying these chips and buying these devices to do AI kinds of operations. And, you know, NVIDIA got in early, and now they're cashing in.
0: Are they uh, a U.S.-based company, do you know?
2: Uh, They are based in Santa Clara, California.
0: Wow. I didn't... um... Well, hooray for us, (laughs) Uh, because I thought that Taiwan was where most of the big chips got made, and you hear about NVIDIA all the time.
2: Yeah, they they produce them in Taiwan, but their corporate headquarters is in
0: California. Oh, okay. Well, then that answers that question. Well, so what does this mean then? Um, uh, Is there new competition on the horizon for NVIDIA? Is NVIDIA going to continue to prosper? It sure seems like (laughs) There's a yellow brick road in front of them with people's interest in cars, interested in phones, interest in video games and interest in A.I.
2: Yeah. And and the thing is, like, A.I. needs certain kinds of chips and they make those certain kinds of chips. It's it's different than the kinds of chips that would power your smart toaster or even your phone. Um, And and it needs the, the processing power. But, uh, you know, they're in there early. Certainly, there will be competition. But they, you know, people were kind of hedgy about as to whether AI was actually going to turn into, you know, a profit-making operation. So they, you know, hedged their bets a lot. And Nvidia got in early. Now they're making money. And uh, Wall Street has, you know, analysts are raising price targets, things like that. They expect the stock to keep going up.
0: Some of us are wearing smartwatches or rings or devices that help us monitor our blood sugar. What's the news about that?
2: Well, the FDA has issued a warning for some of these smartwatches and rings that claim that they measure blood sugar levels uh, for medical purposes. Uh, But these devices have not been approved by the FDA or other regulators in the United States. So, you know... Considering that the consequences of getting your blood sugar wrong for someone with diabetes are, you know, people could die in theory. <laughs> um, it, it, they're saying, you know, you you really shouldn't be using these types of things for that kind of use right now. Not until that the tech is ready for prime time.
0: Well, it's not going to harm you per se, but a false positive might be a bad measure then, right? Is that that's well? I
2: it? mean. Yeah, I mean, it, these aren't, it, the, the technology is not quite there yet. You don't want people taking insulin when they shouldn't, and you don't want people not taking insulin when they need it. Um, blood sugar levels fluctuate. You know, people could pass out. You, you don't want uh, levels spiking or dropping. Uh, and the thing is, if people are trusting these devices to, you know, decide when they're going to take what they need, it, it's, that's really dangerous.
0: What's the news on cyber attacks? Joe Biden has signed an executive order. What's this about?
2: Well, for the last couple of years, the federal government and industry has gotten increasingly worried about industrial control systems, basically these kinds of softer targets that you don't necessarily think about. Um, today, the executive order signed this week deals with the nation's ports, Um so much trade comes in and out of our ports. You know, you're talking about 31 million people uh, working $5.4 trillion to the economy every year. If the ports go down, that is a huge economic uh, catastrophe waiting to happen. So basically what this does is it sets best practices and standard safety kinds of regulations for cybersecurity just to make sure that these ports are protected.
0: Hmm. We have in the Chicago area a phone outage, and I'm not exactly sure what the source of that is. And then we have a hospital in the Chicago area that may have been the object of some sort of ransomware. Um, That's that's a going concern of ours here in the Chicago area today.
2: Yeah, pretty much everywhere. Hospitals and schools and municipalities are all targets for ransomware because they don't have the kind of cyber defenses that you know, something uh, in, in bigger industries would. Uh, hospitals, a lot of hospitals are using outdated technology. They're using tech that can't be patched. Uh, proprietary systems, things like that. And those can be ransomed. And, you know, hospitals can access their their patient systems, their devices. It's, it's a disaster. And, you know, people worry that, that people could die um, if if. Doctors and nurses can't get the information that they need. Yeah. Uh, as far as the, the phone outage, I've been tracking that, the AT&T issues. Uh, that started early this morning. Kind of thought it would blow over, but it looks like they're still trying to restore service. Uh, the thing with telecom is that systems can go down for any number of reasons. But from what I'm seeing, you know, the feds might be investigating as to whether this is a
3: cyber attack as well.
0: One last thing about ransomware. Is it understood what the best strategy is? Either quietly pay the ransom in Bitcoin or whatever they want and maybe get your system back up and running, or should you fight it somehow? But then maybe you don't get your system back. What's the strategy?
2: You know, it's um, different companies have different philosophies. The government has the same kind of uh take that they do with the terrorists who kidnap people do not negotiate with terrorists do not pay them uh, there's no guarantee that you will get your system yeah, back there's right. no guarantee you're going to get your data but you know it's, it's not like this comes with a warranty or a money-back guarantee if you do um, and the thing is too you still have to go through your system and root out the problems make sure that they're not exfiltrating data it is a huge, huge issue. I mean, we saw that with Colonial Pipeline a few years ago when they were ransomed. Yeah. They paid. Uh, there was a pork producer that went down, too, and then prices went up. I and mean, we had runs on gas pumps. We had runs at the grocery store, all because of perceived shortages. And these are exactly the sign of kind of soft targets that uh, cyber criminal gangs uh, that are in it for the money, as well as nation state actors, you know, countries that just want to cause problems here, are going to go after.
0: Brie Fowler writes for CNET. She's a senior writer there, CNET.com. Always nice to talk to you. Thank you, Bree. Thanks for having me. Axios Chicago reports that J.B. Pritzker unveiled a $53 billion budget plan yesterday. You may have heard a little bit about that. $181 million are needed to address the state's migrant crisis. And that's with the state not picking up all but really only half the tab. Hello, Chicago, but migrant care, $181 million we'll need. Medical debt, the governor wants to spend $10 million erasing $1 billion in debt for medical procedures people have incurred. They don't pay on it. It falls over to debt collectors who are ready to pick it up for cents on the dollar. JB said, let's just wipe that debt out for those people, 364,000 Illinoisans. He wants half a billion dollars to boost quantum computing in the state. He wants a $12 million child tax credit. That is plans for a child tax credit for working families with kids three years and under. And he wants $400 million for early education services. It's ambitious and it puts us somewhat upside down. So the folks at Truth in Accounting always look at the state's budget and how we're doing and how truthfully they're reporting the numbers. We've talked to Sheila Weinberg along these lines before. She's the founder and CEO at Truth in Accounting, and she joins us again here on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Welcome back, Sheila.
3: Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, I heard your intro, and, you know, the state... I don't know where he's getting the money. You know, the last time we calculated the numbers, they they needed 175 billion with a B to pay the debt they already have Per taxpayer. That's 441,600. Um, I I don't. I just don't know where you know he's. You know, we're already in debt. Should we? Should you be spending more money when you're already hugely in debt?
0: on its surface it's a 900 million dollar deficit that the governor's proposing i don't know how much we attribute that to the migrants i mean that sure has strained everybody's budgets but it's a massive budget and it's not all because of the migrant crisis in illinois is it
3: no and and he's saying it's you know 900 million short well he 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 always in, in this quote balanced budget or and when they do the balanced budget calculations. They use what I call political math, and part of that political math is the state actuaries have told you how much should go into the pension plans, um, but he shorts that by, you know, three to five billion dollars a year. Um, but, you know, so I, I doubt that the 900 million, I haven't looked at it closely, I doubt if that number is correct.
0: Well, you all give the state's budget uh, or economy a grade, don't you? And what's our latest grade?
3: Uh, we give both the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois F uh, for their grade um, because of that high taxpayer burden number.
0: So is it the burden on the taxpayers, or is it the debt that the city and state carry?
3: It's the the debt that the city carries and the taxpayers. If things don't change, um, that's what they're going to be burdened with paying. Um, so for the state of Illinois, um, it's 41600 but then you have to, if you live in the city of Chicago, you have to add another $42,900. These are bills they've already accumulated. Future taxpayers are going to have to pay those bills and they're not going to receive any goods or services for those for those
0: those taxes because those services have already been rendered. So, to be clear, you're saying that the tax burden in Chicago, if you divide the burden by the population, is about forty two thousand dollars a person.
3: About forty three, forty two nine hundred. Um, and we we rank Chicago as um, giving them an F, but we also rank them the second worst, with New York City being the worst. But Bad news for Chicagoans. If you add the city of Chicago's plus the state of Illinois, the taxpayers in Chicago are worse off than the taxpayers in New York. Chicago's by far the the highest uh, taxpayer burden.
0: Is it possible that's not as alarming as it sounds? That is, I owe more on my house than I have in equity right now, but they're not asking for all the money today. So, yeah, we all carry debt. I wonder how troublesome that number really is.
3: Bit, well, you have to look at it in, two, in a different way. You're looking at that this debt includes your house. Um, and, yeah, you should borrow money to pay for your house. What This debt relates more to credit card debt. We do not include the debt related to, in essence, your house, the bridges, the buildings, uh, their capital assets. We're including the credit card charges that the elected officials in the past have said, we're not going to include these costs in the current budget. We're going to pass, push those costs onto future taxpayers. And in essence, they're giving every taxpayer in the city of Chicago a credit card balance, a new credit card balance of 42900
0: So in other words, and, yeah, so here's, here's, uh, here's your brand new credit card. And by the way, you owe 42000 on that. We're not even talking about the debt you already have.
3: Right, on top of that and and you know and they just continually the, the city and the state they don't if you have a credit card they the company tells you the minimum payment you should pay to pay it off and yeah. you know if you just pay the minimum you're you're in stuck you know you're stuck for years yeah yeah the city and the state don't even pay the minimum payment on these credit cards, the S- pension and retiree health care credit card.
0: We're talking so to Sheila Weinberg. no
3: way they're going to get out of this Sh- debt.
0: Sheila's the founder and CEO at Truth in Accounting. Okay, so what about this? Criticism aside, what's the path forward?
3: Well, the path forward, we believe, is that citizens really, you know, this is the first step. Citizens need to know the truth, you know, don't come out and tell us that you only have a nine hundred million deficit when you actually have probably a $7 billion deficit. Don't tell us in the city budget that the budget is balanced uh, when it's not. Don't tell us the state budget's balanced. Let's go ahead and be truthful with the taxpayers. Yeah, the numbers are bad, but, but the governor is proposing all this additional spending. Would people be advocating for that spending if they knew how much – Financial trouble we're in?
0: So, the new mayor has a raft of uh, new tax ideas. Some are reductions for some people, some are increases for others. Uh, do you have any sort of general thoughts about the best strategies to raise more revenue?
3: No, we always say the truth in accounting that you know we we don't get into quote that you know detailed political mess, um, but they do have a long-term short cash cash shortfall, and the only way to fix that is to bring in more revenue or to spend less. And these budgets, you know, he's you know I guess it's fortunate he's proposing additional taxes, um, but. So that's not even close to what the, gov- the city needs to cut in order to to truly balance its budget.
0: You know, I'm looking at what we started with. Uh, I'm a human being and I have such I feel so bad for these other human beings that are here from Venezuela and China that uh, I, I want us to spend for their care. Um, I think quantum computing is a good investment. Um, I think early education is a good investment. And if that's going to cost us more, I think we should spend more. And I know we don't even have this money yet. So I, I don't, I, So maybe I've got to raise taxes now. But if I raise taxes too much, then I'll cut off my nose and spite my face. Then I'll actually get less revenue because businesses won't come here. So I want you to come up with a plan, Sheila.
3: Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I would come up with a plan that includes everything. It, it includes, you know, you, you probably are going to have to raise taxes. You probably are going to have to cut. You have to prioritize these things. And if you're going to go ahead and promise employees um, pensions and retiree health care, then you need to, you know, that's another thing you need to do. You need to properly fund that. Um, well,
0: I think what we need to do is amend our constitution around that. I mean, we're kind of in a We're kind of stuck there, aren't we?
3: Well, you're kind of stuck there, but they they make it worse by not even funding what the actuaries tell them they need to fund. Um, And, you know, know, we focus on the balanced budget because they have balanced budget requirements. Um, And the reason they have balanced budget requirements is so you don't go into debt. And so also so the public can hold the elected officials accountable for their spending, and the way to do that is they have to pay for taxes for the spending that they get. But by hiding the true cost of government by not including it, yeah, um, you the, the public cannot be a knowledgeable participant in their their the cities or the state's financial c- condition. Yeah, everybody wants education. Everybody wants to help people. But w- should we prioritize that um, based upon our true financial condition? Um, but they're basing it on that. Oh, you know, we're balancing our budget. We're not that. You know, we're not that far in the hole. Um, you know, let's let's start with being truthful to the to the citizens.
0: That's why her business is called Truth in Accounting. Truthinaccounting.org. Sheila Weinberg also has on their website the sunshine and the sinkhole states. Some states actually are on the positive side. Of course, we aren't. The bottom five sinkhole states are Hawaii, Massachusetts, Illinois, Connecticut, New Jersey. The sunshine states with balances are Tennessee, Utah, Wyoming, North Dakota, and Alaska. We need to strike oil here. Otherwise, we got to come up with a better plan. That's Sheila Weinberg. Thank you, Sheila.
3: Thank you for having me on.
0: Steve Grazanich has more business news on the wind Trust
4: business lunch start your timer it's time for the wind Trust business minute sharing Chicago's business news of the day New job cuts have been announced at Rivian Automotive the electric vehicle maker says it will trim 10 percent of its salaried workforce starting today it comes as the company set a new production forecast that's below Wall Street expectations Rivian which operates a manufacturing facility in downstate normal faces stagnant demand and lagging production it reported a fourth quarter net loss of one and a half billion dollars compared with $1.7 billion in the same quarter a year earlier. Rivian says production will not increase significantly this year. It expects to produce 57,000 vehicles, which is short of an initial forecast of 81,000 vehicles. Chicago-based United Airlines has opened its new flight training center in Denver today. The 150,000-square-foot facility will help the airline train 240 more pilots. It includes 12 new flight simulators. United's operation in Denver is said to be the largest facility of its kind in the world, With the addition of this new building, in all, there's 700,000 square feet of training space and 46 state-of-the-art full-motion flight simulators. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Win Trust Business Minute. Here's Steve Alexander.
5: Yeah, Thank you, and have you noticed how Pop-Tarts are sure having a moment? They had a college football game, and now Chicago's very own Museum of Ice Cream is featuring Pop-Tart Ice Cream. I call it
6: the Pop-Tart Reimagined.
5: And for Black History Month only at the Museum of Ice Cream, Ida Nelson partnered with Kelanova, the spinoff from Kellogg, to create three versions of Pop-Tart Ice Cream. But before we get to that, I will say thank you to the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today. There's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Okay, Pop-Tart ice cream. (laughs) It's a real thing. Uh, Let's go back a few years, though, when the lockdown came and Ida Nelson decided to order an ice cream maker.
6: Just for us to have some fun activities at home. But then... I got laid off May 4th, so when I was asked, like, what are you going to do, I said, uh, I guess I'm going to learn how to make ice cream.
5: And she did, and people were clamoring for her ice cream.
6: Put it out on Facebook, hey, I'm making homemade ice cream, and I'm going to start delivering it. Who would be interested?
5: And she's been pretty much sold out ever since. Then the Museum of Ice Cream came calling.
6: Looking to partner with a diverse community, and so they reached out to me.
5: Then Kelanova asked her to come up with some ice cream for the museum made with some of its snacks.
6: Using things like the graham crackers. um, They wanted me to use Cheez-Its.
5: Oh, that sounds awful.
6: Oh, no. Actually, it's pretty delicious. I made a chocolate Cheez-Its ice cream.
5: Well, okay. The Pop-Tart ice cream sounds uh, pretty good. Just
6: chopped up some Pop-Tarts and folded it into my strawberry ice. Cream
5: featuring fresh strawberries, yes, and there's another one made with frosted confetti, cupcake, pop tarts. Tap
6: into your inner child,
5: available this month only at the Museum of Ice Cream. Other than that, you can find Ida's Artisan Ice Cream and Treats online at idasartisan.com. And there's a brick and mortar coming
6: right in the North Lawndale community it's coming this
5: summer. But Ida is clear that she's using ice cream as a vehicle to make things better in her community and show young people other options in life through a mentorship program. Some
6: job skills, some life skills, and learn how to make ice cream while working with me as well.
5: Ida Nelson. You can find her ice cream at the Museum of Ice Cream in the Tribune Tower. Hey, that's where we used to work. On the food calendar, it's National Chili Day. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Um, Here's good news from Barb's
0: Precious Rescue. Barb Weber is the founder of that place. She started out 10 years ago rescuing pets, and today her Pet rescue for cats has 200 cats in a space, what is it, Barb, 7,500 square feet, something like that? Hello.
7: Yes, hello. Yes, we have 7,500 square feet and we use a two story building and great space for our kitties.
0: In Palatine, right? Yes, in Palatine, Illinois. 10 years this year, and actually, you're not done yet. Do I understand you're going to start providing veterinary care on site?
7: Yes, we actually are moving forward with our David Health Veterinary Care Center, which will we'll be able to provide our spay and neuters, as well as all non-emergent surgery, including dentals, which is so important for oh, our kitties.
0: Yeah.
7: And we'll be providing care for our in-house cats, as well as we'll reach out to fellow rescuers who are having challenges finding veterinary care.
0: So uh, these aren't feral cats you're acquiring, or where do these cats come from?
7: Uh, actually, some actually were ferals that were injured, some are dropped off at our doors, but for the most part, it is individuals who are finding kittens, or we've had a couple pregnant moms that are outside, have been left outside by others, hmm. or we take it relinquishments when appropriate from families who have um, no longer can care for their cats.
0: Do you do dogs as well, or is it just cats?
7: Well, we actually are doing just cats now. We have renovated the space for the dogs that's complete, and we're going to begin accepting dogs within about nine months to a year.
0: So if I want to adopt or rescue one of these cats, do I come to you? Is that the deal?
7: Yeah, Actually, we have open hours on Wednesday nights as well as Sunday mornings. And we have private appointments if necessary. You come and you visit your cats. Your cats get to meet you. The cats most of the time select who they want as well as it's a good bond with the family members who come in. And then there's a short process of our veterinarian to clear the kitties before they go home. And then... They get to join their future family.
0: How are you funded, Barb?
7: 100% uh, volunteer as well as donations. Uh, We have a great group of 200 volunteers that help care for our kitties and a veterinarian that uh, definitely assists us with our care. But the rest truly is our community support, public support, which we're very grateful for. Yeah,
0: what a good idea. Okay, congratulations on 10 years, and thank you in advance from all those that will benefit from the Veterinary Care Center, too. You can click on barbsrescue.org, barbsrescue.org. Barb, keep up the good work.
7: Thank you, and thank you for your support.